ESPN 97.5 and 92.5 proudly present The Killer Bees. Definitely a fan of The Killer Bees. Don't sweat the technique. Live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios, here comes the fastest three hours in Houston sports radio. Here's Joe Blank and Jeremy Branham. Oh, hell yeah. You about to get all stung up. Ooh, what up, H-Town? Hey, how we doing? He's Blank, I'm Branham. It's BMAC behind the glass. Uh, Joe, Joe's gone. Joe's visiting the White Sox in Chicago. So we got a killer bee, Brian McDonald, behind the glass, doing all the hard work. He did a video today. Brian Big McDonald things did. happen when Joe's out. Yeah, we're getting production value. Uh, we, we've upgraded behind the glass. Still we not quite talent. Proactiveness. Like, he yeah. comes to us and says, guys, would you like to do it's this unbelievable. That? that never happens with yeah. Joe. Yeah, usually we, we didn't do a video today, Joe. Well, you guys didn't ask me. Well... How about you produce the show, Joe George? Yeah, how about you produce some results, Joe? Yeah, he's he's catching some strays as he's up in the windy city. I hope he's getting Pequods, but I hope he doesn't send me a picture of that because I would be very jealous. I love Pequods. Pequods is the best pizza in the country. Oh. Um, yeah, you have bad taste though. You no, like I ketchup don't. on your pizza? No, I don't like ketchup on my pizza. <laughs> Astros won a baseball game yesterday. They beat the Marlins twelve to five. Game they got a little. This game was weird because you jump out to the massive lead with three dongs in the first inning. You score five runs in the first. Marlins chip away two in the first, two in the fourth. They bring it to a one run game after the fifth inning, and then the Astros score a touchdown in the seventh inning, and then they cruise to victory. All's well, that ends well. Of course, we'll bring up some of the down stuff, but all's well, that ends well. Astros get a series victory in Miami, especially after losing the first game. Nicely done, Astros. And then you got a little bit of help from the Halos. So now you're just two and a half back with 40 games left to play. I had to endure watching the end of that one, and that w- was not an easy experience to get through with a guy that was pitching a no-hitter. So I, I DVR'd yesterday because I was at the TD Club. They honored Andre Ware, right. go Cougs. Fantastic evening. Greg Bailey, great job emceeing. Fantastic night. I DVR'd the Astros, and I fell asleep trying to watch them last night after four. I woke up early and watched the remainder of the game today. So I, I was not following along the Rangers and Angels at all. All I heard was Callis say that the Angels were no-hitting the Rangers in a roundabout way, and then I didn't know who won until I looked it up after the Astros game was over. So how did that whole, a whole thing play out with the Angels and the Rangers? So it's crazy because of the fact that, and you know just, and you know how much they're in my crosshairs these days anyway, but you know that... The, the Rangers telecast could not stop saying, he's got a no-hitter. You know, it's going to be a no-hitter. we got to keep saying it because we oh, want him really? to end. Yeah, they kept doing <laughs> all that and trying to do that. So, is it Detmers? He, he, goes, he goes into the seventh inning. He's only thrown 82 or 83 pitches, and he's cruising, and he's getting pop-ups, and, and it's a one nothing game, and, and the Angels seem like they're in a really good spot, and then all of a sudden, he, he gets a couple of at-bats where it, they're 9 and 10 pitches. And I'm going, oh, no. So he eventually he gets out of it without giving up a hit. So through seven, he had thrown 103 pitches. And then coming out in the eighth inning, C.J. Nitkowski comes out and goes, it's over. It's going to end right here. Because the catcher threw the ball back to him and bounced it. And that means he's tight and he's nervous, which means he's going <laughs> to blow it and it's all going to fall apart right here. I'm like, would you guys just shut the hell up and let the game play out? Well, he gets the first out of the inning, and then Simeon comes up. And he's like, it's it, right here. Here's where it ends. I go, please don't let it happen here because this guy is just a complete D-bag. And, of course, Simeon hits like a bleeder into the gap, and it falls, and he gets the second. Now we've got tying run on first, only one out. He walks the, They yank him. They, get, they walk the next guy. Now it's first and second one out. I go, it, this would be so Rangers if they yeah. came back to win this game. And they brought in t- uh, two guys that throw 100. 
And one guy got him out of the eighth. The next guy, oh, they got an insurance run. The catcher actually, Tice hits a home run to the top of the ninth. And then they they had traffic again, but they shut the door and won 2 nothing. I saw that Jankowski uh, hit the, the fly ball bat. to the warning track. And then, like, Dave Raymond thought it was gone. Yeah. Oh, caught at the track. That's, yeah. the, that's the only video I saw of that game. Uh, but the, uh, the Angels help out the Astros a little bit. Astros win in Miami. So two and a half games back with 40 left to play. What do you want to start with this game yesterday for the Astros? We can talk about the offense that came alive. We can talk about Justin Verlander, who was shaky. We can talk about the dominant bullpen. There's there's a lot of different angles to take Game 3 in Miami. And I think there's a lot more positives than negatives, so let's just get the negative out of the way. The negative to me was JV. JV normally, especially when you're given a big lead, and his, his level of success against the Marlins, and especially in that ballpark going into that game, was pretty good. I think it was 3-1, and one, and his ERA was low. And when you give him a first inning like that, you would just you would just assume he's going to cruise, and he just kept kind of he you know obviously there was a home plate umpire that was a little a little egregious in some of the calls, but it was both ways for both teams. But he just didn't seem to have his good stuff, and he didn't have that bear down like he normally does when he kind of goes kind of empties the tank a little bit here and there when he's got to get out of jams. He did just enough to leave with the lead. But it wasn't a very impressive start from JV. No, he was shaky. Uh, he was. Sh- I wonder if the lead early kind of messed him up too. Sometimes pitchers just kind of they just lose that edge a little bit whenever they get uh, they get the run support early like that. I don't want to make excuses for JV. He didn't pitch well. It's also a pesky lineup for the Marlins. Like that. That's a lineup that kind of annoys me because they they have some guys in there that have really good bat to ball skill, like Luis Arise, the most electric player in baseball. But they also have some power, like Jorge Soler has got some power. That Burger guy owned Justin Verlander. He. Owned own Justin Verlander. Three for three. It was ridiculous. Like, you have a, like a 230 hitter. Now, he hits dongs. He hits for power. But a guy that's not known for, like, a ton of base hits in a single game, and he's just dominating Justin Verlander like he's a Hall of Famer. That was weird. But that's baseball. Like, some batters do really well against some pitchers, no matter how good the pitcher is and how bad the batter is. Uh, so, Verlander wasn't good. Five runs, four earned, nine hits over five innings. He did get you to the fifth inning on a night that he wasn't good. He gets to pat his stats a little bit as he picks up his eight strikeout. But nine hits over five innings, not good. Just two strikeouts over five innings, uh, not good either. Very curious what he looks like in his ne- in his next start. Now, the bullpen after him was fantastic. The bullpen after him allowed just one base runner the rest of the game. And it was a close game for some of them. It was, well, for just Graveman. It was a close game. Graveman looked as dominant as he's looked as a Houston Astro in this 2.0 uh, stint with the Houston Astros. He was filthy. Rafael Montero was getting warmed up when, the, when it was still a one-run game. Montero was getting warmed up during the inning the Astros scored the six runs, but he was doing it when it was still a one-run game. So it's interesting What's to that me that you? Dusty yeah. was using Montero in a high-leverage spot. And it you, also man. tells you that Dusty Baker currently has Rafael Montero ahead of Kendall Graveman. I told you. It, it's, yeah. in, it's in Pawpaw's belly. I knew it. I, I just feel it. You feel it in my plums? Uh, I, I, I feel it because of the fact that that's it's who Dusty line. has shown us who he is. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what baseball logic says. He's going to do what he's going to do, and there is going to be a time, and he's getting closer to doing it, and, and he's he's giving more high-leverage situations to Montero because his vision, by the end of the year, Montero was right back where he was a year ago. Montero has been better. He has. He, he has been better. Yesterday, he looked he looked good yesterday, too. Like He that, he was in there, quick work, one, two, three inning. So Montero has been pitching better. It's just interesting that Montero is ahead of Graveman in the circle of dust from Dusty Baker right now. But a dominant bullpen effort. Stanek, mop-up duty was fine. Uh, Mashinsky, actually been all right. Hunter Mashinsky. He's actually been all right. Like, he's been yeah. okay. He's been well, okay. I mean, he was complete mop-up last night. Absolutely. But, Absolutely. Yeah. He's still the last guy in the bullpen. So if he's, if he's, if he's been okay at complete mop-ups, I'm good. 
It's been okay. I don't need to see him facing Shohei Otani in a one-run game. No, 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 no. He doesn't need leverage spots. He's got a three ERA. Like he's been okay. But you're right. He, he's he's suited for mop-up duty for the Houston Astros. Shouldn't be anything more than that. Uh, the fun things to talk about yesterday's game were the offensive performances of a lot of Houston Astros. Blankers, I don't know how you feel, but when you get a five spot in the first inning, this just makes me feel a little bit a little bit better, especially down in the plums. Three homers for the Astros in the first inning, which tied the career high for Jesus Lazardo. Yesterday's starter for Miami, his career high for home runs given up in a single game was three. The Astros did it one time through the like one time in the before they got three outs. They hit three homers in the first inning. Uh, quite the start to yesterday's game. Yeah, it was beautiful, and, and you start to as much as you ride the emotional wave when you're watching Astros baseball. When Verlander's on the mound and you start a game like that, you're feeling really good about this one maybe being one of those games where you can just relax and start doing other things and check back every now and then because they're going to roll, and Verlander didn't have his A game. So it was great to see because they needed it, the offensive outburst that they got. It's just a shame that you couldn't pair it up with with a good start from Verlander and then just roll through the end of the road trip and get back home. At least they found a way to win. Found a way to win, and the offense was fantastic. I mean, and Tucker I mean, is just, I mean, the more that we've kind of said it is almost not an afterthought, but just like an, oh, by the way, this guy should be in the MVP conversation. He keeps doing the things that he's doing and, and logging RBIs and home runs, you know, almost every seemingly every single night. There's no reason why he shouldn't be, you know, right up there next to Otani in term, at the end of the year in terms of MVP voting. Look, I don't think there's a conversation for MVP voting in the American League. Like, that's a conversation. For number one, no. This conversation that shouldn't be had. That's over. Now, the conversation for who's the runner-up mm-hmm. in American League MVP voting is fascinating to me. I have a tough time finding somebody else that's ahead of Kyle Tucker for second. Maybe cool. Marcus Simeon. Maybe Luis Robert, but he's on a really bad baseball team. Maybe Adolis Garcia. Now, I think see Seager if he wasn't hurt. Seager if he wasn't hurt. Yeah, on the tear he's on right now, I would put him up there. He still might be. And Rushman could be just because of the fact Eh. that they're the Cinderella story, but his numbers aren't that great. Yiner has better numbers than Rushman in terms of like the averages, the the volume, the counting numbers belong to Rushman because he plays more baseball games. I think Kyle Tucker can finish second in the league in MVP in MVP voting. I think it's a realistic possibility. He leads the American League in RBIs right now. He passed um, Adolis Garcia with his performance yesterday. He's up to ninety two RBIs. Callis was talking about this yesterday. He's like on one hundred and twenty RBI pace. Like he is putting together. One of the best seasons in baseball. He's putting together a year that's probably going to be one of the better years he has in his career. Like, he's not going to knock in 120 runs every single season. And you got to be on some good teams along the way to do that. Like, two years ago, he had a better OPS than he does this year. Two years ago, he had a better OPS plus than he has this year. So, he's done this for a period of time. But to rack up the numbers that he's racking up, like he's going to finish with 30 home runs minimum, which will be the third year in a row he finishes with 30 home runs. He's going to get past 100 RBIs. Yesterday, he picked up his 92nd RBI. Third year in a row, he's got 92 RBIs or more. He's probably going to get to 30 stolen bases. So you're looking at a 30-30 guy that's going to knock in nearly 120 runs, maybe more than that, that's going to flirt with a 300 batting average. It's going to be over a 900 OPS. I mean, Kyle Tucker's one of the best players in baseball. Sorry. Like, he just, matter of fact, is one of the best players in all of baseball. What I really like about it, too, Jeremy, is is that he's finally getting his due because it's overdue. I mean, I was watching Scott Van Pelt's uh, Sports Center last night after the Ranger game finished up, and and he was another guy that jumped on the bandwagon to say, I love this guy. He is quietly one of the best players in baseball that nobody knows about, 
And, and he goes, I, he goes, maybe he likes it that way, but this guy is so good. And he kept pumping him up. And I'm like, this is what he deserves across the board, from MLB Network to every announcer on every major network, whether they're doing the game or just doing the highlights. He needs to start getting his props and his flowers because it's this is not just a one-year wonder now. It took him a while. He was a little bit of a slow starter. But now that he's got it going and now that he's rolling, I get, you know, I, I don't get, but I understand that there are still people out there that are going to kind of be a little bit more subdued in giving Astros players props. Uh-huh. But he, you can't, there's no denying what this dude is doing. He's, he's, we already knew he's a really good player, but he's putting the numbers to support an MVP campaign. It's too bad that Shohei's in the American League because he would have a legit chance to win it. 713 780 ESPN, the HRP listener line, 713 780 3776. Busy show for you. Next year, you won't have to worry about that. If, I, hope, I hope you're right. I hope you're right. Next I hope year he's, he's a Dodger. I hope you're right. I don't want Shohei in the American League, to be quite honest with you. Uh, Joel Embiid, is he going to be a Houston Rocket? We'll discuss that a little bit later. Kelly Eco is the one who was kind of going viral for putting that on the internet. We're going to be joined by Kelly Eco later later on in the show at 2.15. Bad Take Boulevard, who made the list this week? And you can send in your nomination, 713-780-3776. Alex Bregman deserves a little bit of praise. Chaz McCormick deserves a little bit of praise. Your thoughts on game one, or the game, the third game of the series between the Astros and the Marlins yesterday. Astros taking the rubber game. 713-780-3776 on Twitch. Twitch.tv slash ESPN 97.5. He's at Pac-Man Joel on Twitter. I'm at Jeremy Brand. I'm Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. teams covered no stalking points necessary you're back with the killer bees on 97.5 and 92.5 live from the veritex community bank studios oh uh, you're without our white guy um joe george we got another white guy taking his shoes though brian mcdonald Mac behind the glass uh todd in the twitch twitch.tv slash espn 97.5 says montero in July, 231 ERA. Montero in August, 150 ERA. If you take Rafael Montero's last 17 games, he's got a 183 ERA. I don't want to say Rafael Montero's back. And I'm not going to say Rafael Montero's back. He had that three walk performances yeah. three outings ago, which is not great. But Rafael Montero's numbers in the last 17 games are good. Yeah, look, I don't want to nitpick him too much because I'm glad that at least we're having a conversation about him because I thought he was done. I, I just thought mentally and physically what I saw after signing the big contract was a guy that they were not going to have any meaningful role for for not only this year, but the the next three with the new deal. The fact that they're getting at least what they're getting out of him and the fact that, yes, he's still shaky at times. Yes, there's still issues with control at times. But the, but, but the fact is, is that Dusty really likes him. And when Dusty has called his number lately, he has been far more effective. You just got to hope it continues. Yeah, uh, King of Twitch says ERA is a little misleading because they put him in low leverage situations. That's a fair point. They, they've kind of babied how they've used him, trying to like kind of ramp him back up. Yesterday they were going to use him in a one run game in the seventh inning. After they used Kendall Graveman, though, so I got a little wide eyed when I saw it, it was him warming up because you think they would have flipped them, right? Like Montero in the sixth, Graveman in the seventh. Mm-hmm. So look, and, and King of Twitch is right. Like low leverage spots, a little easier to pitch in than high leverage spots. Understand, but maybe that's Montero's role. Maybe he's just the fourth guy on that pecking order in the circle of dust that way you know he doesn't blow up and walk three guys in the eighth inning when you're up by a run based on the pecking order though graveman looked good the fact that you know we were both a little more a little uneasy about his last few performances the fact that he came in 
and looked like he was in complete control was a really good sign as well for that bullpen. He looked really good. Yep. He looked uh, he looked really good, Graveman, I thought. Uh, 713-780-3776. 9-4-4-5. We were mentioning Tucker's number one in the American League in RBIs. Uh, 9445 says uh, Bregman in fourth is surprising to me. I think he's tied for fourth in the American League in RBIs, but it, it goes to show you that it's about opportunity because Alex Bregman's not had a great offensive season. Let's let's be completely honest. Seven six. 68 OPS, okay. He's been consistently inconsistent. He has been very inconsistent. Uh, The OPS plus is 112. The average for a Major League Baseball player is 100. I'd be curious what the average is for a third baseman because it's going to probably be be 110, 115. So Bregman's probably hitting, for a third baseman standards, average for Major League Baseball. But because he hits in the middle of the order with a, a lineup that's pretty good, that has some guys that get on base around him, he has opportunity and he plays all the time. Like he leads the league in, in games played. So this is a good example of how RBIs a lot of times are a team stat more than an individual stat. Now, you have to come through, run our third one out, you got to come through. So I'm not going to poo poo it entirely. I think RBIs still are important, but it is a dependent variable stat. You need other guys around you, especially in front of you, for those RBIs to take an uptick. And I think Bregman's a perfect example of that. Yeah, no, a- absolutely. And again, we know that when Bregman gets to the playoffs and he gets to those those high leverage big stage bright light situations, he's still fully capable of delivering. So it's not like you're going to turn your back on the guy. But, yeah, it is a little bit shocking because we've seen in in watching every game this year, we've seen a guy that just hasn't found his groove. He finds it for short periods of time. He gets in a groove for like a series or a week or two, and then he seems to fall back. I know Blummer had noticed something else and said he was walking out with him the other night, and they were talking about that he had changed something else. I think he's tinkering a lot this season, which tells you just how inconsistent yeah. and, and and how not satisfied he's been with his own swing. He's looked for change a lot. Uh, 8693, I hate Otani's pitching, plays into MVP consideration. There's pitching awards, so it should be separated. I mean, Otani's a unicorn because, like, I think that MVP should be an offensive player award. I don't like giving the MVP to a pitcher. Like, even the year Verlander won it in Detroit, I'm not a fan of that. They have the Cy Young. That is the pinnacle of the pitching awards. I think the MVP is the pinnacle of the offensive player awards. When you have a player that does both, he throws a wrench into the entire equation. It makes it very, very difficult. But I think that the exception is Otani because of the fact that he do- he's doing both. Which, right. ma- which, which, from a value perspective... As much as the Angels have underachieved, especially since they made all the moves at the, at the deadline, the fact is, without this guy, they would be you know ten or fifteen games less than what they are. And the fact the fact that he's doing it both pitching and pitching pretty much except for lately every fifth day, and then putting up the offensive numbers that he's do, doing and the grind that that you have to go through to get to that point, the things that he's been able to do and and the endurance to put put himself through that. Just overall value, he's the exception to the rule. Because otherwise, yeah. I have no problem separating the, the Cy Young and the MVP. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. But like, yeah, just that whole body of work that he's doing both. He's a unicorn where you have to, he's, he's like graded on a totally different curve because he's one of the better pitchers and he's one of the better hitters. To your point, the argument that, that the other, if there was a competition for the award every year or whenever there's a competition for the award with him and somebody else. The, the the precursor that's going to be brought up every time that is not going to allow the other person to have a chance is, but he pitches. You you can compare all the offensive numbers, and the other guy might have a couple categories in his favor. Otani might have those, 
And then the the one that decides it for everybody is but he pitches. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's he is the most valuable player in baseball, even though he's pitching on a team that's not going to make or playing on a team that's not going to make the playoffs. Probably finish with a below five hundred record. Eight six nine three. Do y'all remember? He said Brandon specifically. Brandon, remember when y'all were saying last year that Soto was a better player than Tucker? Do y'all still feel that way? Genuine, genuinely curious. I, I want to say this was around the trade deadline, and people were like, "Yeah, trade Tucker for Soto." And I, I don't, we we didn't want to do that. We we wouldn't have traded Tucker for Soto. No. We probably I probably did say Soto was a better player than Tucker. I, I still think Soto is more talented than Tucker. Tucker's probably like a better ball player. But if you just wanted to do a quick side by side comparison for this year alone, Juan Soto has a better WAR. Juan Soto has a better OPS. Juan Soto has a better OPS plus. Kyle Tucker has a better batting average. Tucker's driven in more runs. So I think it's very, very tight. I think Soto's more talented, if I'm being completely honest. Yeah, I mean, look, over the next, over the last year and a half, there's an argument to be made because since Soto joined the Padres, he, he just seemingly has underachieved compared to where he was with the Nationals when he first came into the league and took the league by storm. But, you know, do I think that, that Tucker's a better outfielder? I do. Do I think that Soto has better skill sets when it comes to offensive production over the course of their career? I do. Yeah, I mean, Tucker's probably going to hit for more average. I think Soto probably has a little more raw power. Yep. I mean, Tucker's eye is good. Tucker's contact's good. Juan Soto's eye is amazing. Like, it it, it might is. Be the, well, it might be one of the best in baseball. But it's also a fun conversation to have because I think Tucker's a better base stealer. Oh, sure. And a better, you know, and better with speed and his running. I think it's really close. I think it's really close between Tucker and Soto. Like, Tucker could be having a better year. Soto, the more talented player, like it's that's really close. It's but really close. The fact that you're able to have the conversation that I don't know that anybody would have made the same comparisons two years ago, I think that says a lot for Kyle Tucker. Yeah, yeah. 60-30, Bregman will never be the same without the trash can being honest. His defensive ability, great, but no pop, no extra base hits. Bregman should be driving balls gap to gap. Bregman's got more pop than you're giving him credit for, 60-30. Uh, his defensive ability, you're right, is great. If it weren't for Matt Chapman, I'd be giving him the gold glove this year. If you want to have a hard conversation, Bregman has not been the same player since 2019. Just saying. Like, Alex Bregman's numbers, if you, if you want to play that game, which the Texters played, Bregman, 17, 827 OPS. 18, 926 OPS. 19, over 1,000 OPS, finished second in MVP. Since then, 801, 777, 827, 68. He has fallen off as an offensive threat. He used to be one of the best offensive players of baseball through 2019. Since 2019, for whatever reason, I think it's injuries, for whatever reason, he has not been the same player since the turn of the decade. I think the other thing is what we talked about today. I think there's a combination of things. Yes, he's been dinged up over the last couple of years. The other thing is, is that there's a guy that's been hell-bent and steadfast on just sticking with his routine and keeping everything the same. His stance, his swing, you know, he's a, he's a, a guy that studies video all the time. He's constantly working on making sure he tightens his swing and keeps it the same way. This year, it's the exact opposite. Every two weeks, he's tinkering and doing something else. Bats up, bats down. Shoulders different, stances different. That's a guy that you can that, that's telling you without telling you that he's pressing, that he's not comfortable at the plate, that he, he he knows he doesn't feel or isn't producing the same way, and now he's trying to do too much, I think. Yeah, that could very well be the case as well. 713-780-ESPN. I like that he's hitting lefties, though, because he has struggled with that in the last couple of seasons. Uh, Chaz McCormick continues to drive the ball, which is great to see. And then Dusty Baker gave him a little bit of love coming into the dugout yesterday. Dusty and Chaz, they've Saw repaired that. the relationship. It's great to see. There's no, no repairing to have to repair, Jeremy. You're right. Is the race for the Astros. We've been talking about this. The It's two and a half right now with 40 games to play. 
Is the race good for the Astros? 713-780-3776. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Welcome back, Houston. It's the Killer Bees. Joel Blank and Jeremy Branham, live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Spencer likes that little bit, huh? The little wheel that he's rolling trying to concoct certain lineups. What is... Uh... All he needs is s 2 S2D2. I just thought of something. You know how we had that, the rolling bit, what's wrong with Dusty's lineups? Yeah. What's wrong with ESPN 97.5's lineup? <laughs> They all leave to start YouTube you shows. Need, it was great working with you guys. Uh, we do. Although we can never understand a darn word he's saying. You can. That's true. 713-780-3776. Garrick on the Twitter and the uh, and the uh, the text. He wanted to make sure we saw this, which is good information. Uh, Bregman's hitting 294 with runners in scoring position, slugging over 500 with men in scoring position. It has a 900 OPS with runners in scoring position. Those are all significantly above league average. The issue is he's putrid when he hits with two, with uh, no men on. I didn't realize the uh, the splits on that with Bregman. So so thanks to the sh- for sharing that, Garrick. Opens my eyes a little bit. What that tells me is that Bregman has a little bit of a clutch gene. Bregman's got a bit of a clutch gene. He hits better with runners in scoring position than with nobody on base. Probably tells you he should probably be hitting fourth or at least also third in the lineup. Refer- kind of what I was referring to. When we get to the playoffs, I don't have any worries about Alex Bregman. I just feel like he's going to step up in big moments. He, he kind of lives for those moments. Yeah, it, it's just a matter of the grind of the, the the season seems to be grinding on his mind a little too much this year because he's tinkering a lot. Yeah, so uh, yeah, maybe Bregman's got something to. He's got the clutch gene, perhaps seven one three seven eight zero ESPN HRMP listener line a uh, six nine four one bases loaded two outs three zero count and Dusty doesn't have the takes on uh, take sign on. Come on, I didn't like that. That was a, a disappointing. I have no problem letting Jose Altuve have the green light on three zero. No problem I at knew all. He's he one of the best players in franchise history. I'm giving him the green light almost every single time. I I didn't like it simply because the pitcher was really struggling with control, and I would have at least made him throw one one. Really good one before I, I let turned Altuve loose, but I, I I hear where you're coming from. I know that he's a dead red fastball hitter, and he knew he was expecting one. So I mean, he's a veteran. You you live mm-hmm. with that one. My my disgust in that inning was Mauricio Dumont not doing his job, but he had two hits and did his job later in the game. Uh, Martin Maldonado, I think he struck out in that spot, which is better than a double play because it lets Altuve come to the spot uh, to the plate. I have no problem whatsoever letting the best hitter in franchise history, one of your best hitters right now, try to do damage with the bases loaded in a 3-0 count. Doobie bothers Green me. light all the time in that spot. Doobie bothers me because he's dancing in the box a lot. Like, he just seems like he's all... It's like, to me, his approach or the way he's handling his at-bats is like from the minute he steps in the box, he's in an 0-2 count. He's fending off pitches yeah. when he can be up in the count and just slapping the barrel at it, and his feet are dancing all over the place, where at least when he was hot in the first half of the season, until he got two strikes, he was pretty much dug in, balanced, and he was putting barrel to baseball. He's never been somebody that uh, has great plate discipline. He's good, like, bat-to-ball skills. His contact's good, doesn't strike out a ton. But because he swings at a lot of bad pitches and is able to make contact with it, it's why he doesn't slug a whole lot. It's why he doesn't hit the ball all that hard a lot. Uh, so that's kind of like the one nitpick with Dubon. Now, I was a little worried that Dubon broke his handmate late in the game. We took that swing and then immediately threw his bat, took off his glove. I was worried that it was a handmate. Dusty Baker mentioned in the postgame that he broke a nail. I've never heard of that before. Did you see the play? It was late in the game. It was a blowout situation. But Mauricio Dubon, first pitch, lasted bat in the game. I think it was the eighth. It might have oh, been the eighth when, or ninth. When I don't he kind of let go of the bat afterwards, and they all went and talked to him. Yeah. He took his glove off. Yeah, that's the spot. He swung and like 
I don't. I think he fouled it off, and then immediately threw the bat, took the glove off. Jeremiah right. Randall was out there. Dusty Baker was out there. I was terrified he broke his hammock. I did too. Terrified he broke his I hammock. Agree. Dusty said in the post game press conference that he broke his nail because the swing after that, when they were all watching him, he did wince a little bit, and Blummer called it that he still was wincing, yeah. and that's why I was convinced it was something in his thumb or his hand or his wrist. Yeah, I was worried about the hammock, but it was weird because they were looking at the top and not the palm. Usually, it's in the palm. But have you ever heard of a baseball player breaking a nail, swinging a bat? But how, too, right? Because he's got the little foam know. thing on his thumb. He's got big, thick gloves on both hands. Like, what's catching and ripping the nail? It was bizarre. I've never heard of a, of a hitter breaking a nail, swinging a bat, ever in my life. Ever. Uh, have yeah, you? Has is, anybody? No, that's really weird. 713-780-3776. It's bizarre. All right, the Astros are, are two and a half back, 40 to play. Is this race a good thing for the Houston Astros? Because you, you hear some spin. Hey, it's good. To, you know, you're in this you're in this competition. It's going to make you you know be entering the playoffs with your foot on the gas. It allows you to to carry some momentum in the playoffs. I've seen some people kind of content with the idea of just being a wild card, where they'll point to last year's playoffs and be like, "Remember, there was a big gap between the regular season and the start of the division series, and they felt the teams were rusty." The Astros, remember, had trouble scoring until Jordan hit the walk-off home run in Game 1. Other teams around baseball that didn't have to play in the wild-card series were a bit rusty, slow out of the gates. So is this race a good thing for the Astros as opposed to winning the division by 10 games? I think it's a different scenario for them, and I do think it kind of tightens them up. I think that it's been just such a bizarre season overall where they've had to fight through so many injuries, and the night and day difference is they're not up in the division like they always are. And it's a different set of circumstances for them. The only thing that I would say is, as long as they end up on top of the division at the end of it, then it didn't hurt them. Uh, you know, because they were coasting quite a bit for the last month and a half of the season a year ago. So I think that from the standpoint of keeping guys game ready and having a little bit more on the line to where they, they can't relax, that can help them. But I think that it, it's, a, it's a slippery slope because you, can't, you don't want to be in a position to be in the wild card instead of winning the division. You don't want to be in a position where you are kind of intensifying every game, but with that could have the potential for injuries and things to go wrong too instead of having guys kind of be ready for the playoffs. So I think it's a a double-edged sword. It's a catch-22 to some degree. I like the fact that there's something to play for here. I think the Astros are the better team. I just hate the thought of them going to the wild card. I hate the idea of them going to the wild card as well. I, I think that the race is fun. I think that the race is entertaining. Like it, it, this is the, this starts the stretch drive. You're 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 three quarters of the way through the year. There's still 40 games to play, which is a lot of games. Still a lot of baseball left to be played. But it allows for entertainment in the regular season, late in the regular season. Where quite frankly, we haven't had a whole lot of this in Houston. Like even the COVID year was just so weird that it was just a 60 game race to the finish. Astros didn't have a great regular season and then got hot in the in the playoffs and went to that COVID ALCS and lost to the Rays in seven games. This is the first time in what seems like a long time that the Astros are actually in a real divisional race. I think it's fun. I think it's entertaining. It puts more at stake each and every game of these last 40. You scoreboard watch a little bit as you turn on some Rangers baseball and have to deal with Dave Raymond and C.J. Nikowski. But it kind of like adds to the feud. It adds to a rivalry. It, it makes it fun and entertaining. As far as it being good... I think that any team in baseball, not just the Astros, but maybe even more the Astros, because it's a team that's dealt with a bunch of injuries. Jose Altuve's been hurt four times. Jordan Alvarez has missed 40 games. I think it is best for the Astros and any team, again, 
if you can coast. If you can coast into the playoffs, that means you can give some guys some extra days off. That way they're fresh in the postseason. You can monitor innings and workload a little bit more for pitchers than you can when you're trying to chase a team for the division title. Entertaining, yes. The race overall, good. I, I don't think it's major, but I wouldn't call it good. It's good that they can stay sharp this year or sharper by kind of having to up the intensity. It's also a little bit of a dangerous scenario because you know that if you're treating some of these games down the stretch like playoff-type games or they're, or more must-win type games, that guys are going to you know ramp up the intensity and there and with that comes, up, comes the chance that things can happen and, and go wrong for you. And so, yeah, it's a little different. They stay more sharp if they can stay healthy and they get the end result they want going into the playoffs. And, and, and you don't get to see as much of young players to see if they could be a part of this team. But I think health, as long as they're healthy and, and you know, and sprinkling it, sprinkles and icing is the biggest guy right now. If he comes back, you're not worried about bringing up Bly Madris or seeing another guy in Sugarland that might be able to contribute in September. You're worrying about getting those guys enough at bats to be game ready so that in the playoffs you have an above average major league hitter sitting on your bench or on your roster that you can use that can benefit you winning baseball games when they matter most. Ocho, I'd enjoy it more if Dusty managed with a sense of urgency. Todd says, I don't want the division. I want the American League the American League lead, which, of course, gives you the uh, the home foot advantage throughout. 713-780-3776, the HRP listener line. I, I want to take a look at a couple of team builds around the NFL that I find similar to the Texans in the like what they have done, the Texans potentially doing. We always look at the Jets because I think that's a good comparison. Salah, a, a team that's built on defense. But how about the 49ers? Remember, D'Amico Ryan spent all of his coaching career prior to this year in San Fran, and it always wasn't so good in San Fran while D'Amico was there. I'm going to throw a couple of team builds by you and see what you guys think. 713-780-3776. Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. The Killer Bees. What about the murderous Jays? We've got Joel, Jeremy, and Joe. That's three Jays coming to you live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios on ESPN 97.5. It's the Killer Bees and murderous Jays. Spencer's not up with the times, is he? Doesn't realize that no. Joe George is not here. He's not paying attention. He max in for Joe George. Blank's still in for blank. I'm still trying to. Uh, a couple of team builds that I'm interested about. Actually, I wanted to get to this text first. Uh, Bobby Miami says, I've moved from Miami a few months ago. He, he has a Houston area code, though, so I don't know if I'm buying this story. But he says, I moved from Miami a few months ago, and I felt incomplete moving to Houston. This talk show makes my day every day while working with Amazon driving all day. I'm going to the game on Saturday. I'm looking forward to finally feeling a piece of home here in Texas. Thank you guys for all that you do. Much love, Bobby Miami. Is this guy Don't real? Question Bobby's number. Is Bobby Miami a real person, or is he is he faking this Bobby He's Miami story? He's texting in that he loves the show, and yeah. you're going to question his story. Stop just, pulling on a dude hey, that's giving us some. I'm just love. I, I'm sniffing a little BS here. I'm <laughs> oh, sniffing love, a little BS, <laughs> Bobby. I mean, Mac and I and how, Joe, I think would be on. The, we love you, man. Just keep listening. I'm not we appreciate I you, if, if, Miami if, Bobby. We love you, if, or Joel and if, I. Do. You didn't even get yeah. his name right. If Bobby Miami is is a real person. Look, I mean, we we see Facebook scams all the time. Russian bots trying. Hey, so you think Russia, the, the the main Russian scam is no, to I mean, pump I don't up your that serious? That was the text. I mean, this guy. Not too often do we get text messages that are eight. Like it's a paragraph. And then that that are professing their love to the killer bees. We know that it ex- exists, but how often do people actually profess it? Not that often. 
So we very You're rarely one jaded individual. We, I am very jaded. Jaded Branham. Um, we very rarely see an eight sentence text saying how much they love it. We get way more hate than we do love. It's also from a guy who says that his name is Bobby Miami, and he's been here for a couple of months. Yet he's got a Houston area code. I'm I, call, I, I sniff a little BS here. I, I, I'm I do not find it odd that you would change sure your phone number that quick, but I find it odd that you would uh, try to discredit someone right. praising you. Bobby Miami or Bobby H. Call, Town, just it. text back and say how much you love BMAC and I, and just tell Branham you are not a Bobby. I bet you he respects my transparency. He, he just texted back. He said, I'm real, my brother. Okay, Bobby Miami. If you are, it sounds like you're real. I'm going to take your word for him. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. Still I still have like you're my, convinced. I have reservations. I have reservations. At a restaurant. Well, the next time you praise the show, it's going to be the Paul Galan show and not us. <laughs> That's okay. We're willing to spread the love here. And it sounds like Bobby Miami's not going anywhere. He told us how much he loves us. I think he would appreciate that I'm sniffing out some potential BS. See, if you didn't give him all this crap, Bobby Miami, when he's delivering his packages, might have a way to, you know, put little posty notes on the package saying, hey, by the way, if you ever pass in some time, you need to listen to the Killer Bees. They're awesome. But now they're, he's a little upset that he's getting question marks. I'm just, I'm maybe maybe the cell phone's like a company phone. He said he, was, he moved Could here be. for a job. Maybe well, it's a company phone. Let's be honest. We know about Amazon's, like, how yeah, they treat okay. their workers. Probably There's you, no you're, way you're, that he has an Amazon right. phone and he's texting into a radio show during his shift. Amazon's way too strict for that to be on a company phone. But we know that yeah, we, probably right. we kept our area codes from our phones when we left to go to different jobs. And then we come back. If he kept his, went to Miami and came back, there you go. He says he's from Miami. He didn't yeah, live but you here, could be from Miami, Miami and lived here previously and then moved back. I, and, I didn't get that sense, though, based on the uh, Based on the fact the that text. you can feel so, so much. I just, my, my, in a text message, you can feel tones so, I, so easily. I'm really good at reading Can we things. nominate this for Bad Take Boulevard? We don't know yeah, maybe. that. Maybe. Well, it's, it's coming up. We don't up. know. Maybe it's a r- correct take. We have no idea. I'm pretty good at sniffing things out. I'm pretty good at getting a read of the situation. I'm a pretty good per- pretty good at reading the tea leaves. But we do love you, Bobby Miami. Thanks for the kind words. Do you think Bobby Miami was rooting for the Marlins or the Astros last night? I guess Miami. I would I say in the Saturday game, he's going to the Dolphins game, right? That's oh, you're probably talking right. About? Yeah. yeah, Bobby Miami, who are your teams? Who are your, yeah. who are your professional teams? But thanks, thanks for tuning in. We're having some fun at your expense, but thanks for tuning in. 713-780-3776. Who do you believe? We love the support. 713-780-3776. A couple of team builds. I'm fascinated by the Texans team build. I really, really am. I think that they're headed in the right direction. I, I think D'Amico Ryan's going to be a good head coach in the NFL. I think Stroud's going to be fine. I think, I think Will Anderson's going to be the better of the two, if I'm being completely honest. Petrie, Stingley, I'm bullish on the defense. I think the defense has a chance to be top 12 this year. I think they can be second half of the year a top 10 defense, second half of the year. I think it's going to take a little while to get adjusted to each other, to new play calling, things like that. But I'm, I'm bullish on the, especially the Houston Texans defense. Obviously, I love Tank Dell. Go Cougs. And Tank Dell is exceeding my expectations in his first NFL training camp. He's been unbelievable. So I, I like to take a look at some other teams' builds around the NFL that I find similar to what the Texans are trying to do. We look at the Jets a lot. And the Jets have also been a prominent team in the NFL this year for a variety of different reasons. Um, Aaron Rodgers. Going to New York, obviously, now they're a team that's very popular. They're in New York, so they're a team that's very popular. They are the hard knocks team, and often you get a hard knocks bump, whether it's fantasy players, whether it's like, oh, I think this team's going to have a good year because I've watched them on HBO for 45 minutes each and every week. They're in the news again today. Apparently, they ghosted Tampa Bay in a joint practice. Did you see that? It depends on who you talk to. What's going on there? I have no idea. It depends on who you talk to now. What's the story? Well, the inside Jets people 
seem to tell you this was planned all along, and they didn't ghost them on the second day and tell them they weren't going to do it and leave the Bucks high and dry so that they had to use the Giants facility. It was planned all along. If you're gangrene, it's all Jets positives, and they didn't do anything wrong. So why does Tampa Bay feel like they ghosted them? At least, and then Tampa Bay's beat writer, one of their beat writers, is the one that's actually putting out that they got ghosted, screwed on the second day, and had to borrow the Giants facility. So if the truth lies somewhere in the middle or you want to pick a side, I'll stick with the Bucks guy. I believe that they got screwed. Kublai says uh, supposedly the Jets claimed it was for player safety, stating that uh, players have higher chances of getting hurt with back-to-back joint practices. It seems like you would have gotten that ironed out on Monday, like before the second day of joint practice. That's a bizarre story. But I look at the Jets build. How similar do we think that the Jets build is to what the Texans are trying to accomplish? Like the defense, you bring in the defensive coordinator from a top defense. Jets did it with Salah. The the, for, the Texans are doing it now with D'Amico Ryans. I think that there's more talent on the defensive side of the ball for the Texans than there is the the offense. And then the same thing when Salah took over for the Jets. Now their offense is all of a sudden looking dangerous with Rodgers, Garrett Wilson, Brees Hall, Dalvin Cook. They brought in Lazard. But that was a team where the defense was ahead of the offense as well. How how similar do you think those builds are? Where do you see similarities? Where do you see some differences? I think the similarities are what you touched on with the defense. I think when they've gotten draft picks and they got young players to add to their roster when they were starting to like turn the corner and rebuild and really focus on it. Yeah, they they, they did draft a Zach Wilson. But along the way, when they got Quinn and Williams and they got some of the guys that they got, they got Sauce Gardner, they started building the defensive side of the football. They have a coach that came out of the Niners system, just like the Texans have a coach that came out of the Niners system. They're both defensive-minded coaches as well. And, and I think that that's where the rebuild really got traction. That's where Tobiko will get traction with this team. That's how Sala created the atmosphere for his first year. The offense was a crapshoot. It was up in the air. You didn't know what to expect, especially when you started with Zach Wilson. But then at a certain point, that this is where I don't know. I think the disconnect might happen. I don't think the Texans, I hope they're not going to be in the same situation as the Jets, where if they hit on almost every, every other pick that they make and the young players that they develop, and then they start kind of enhancing the situation by bringing in some veterans that fit, they went out and got Aaron Rodgers. And now they took progress and took it to a whole new level. Now it's not a team that's on the cusp of a playoff berth. Now it's a team that's talking about Super Bowls, AFC Championships, and higher aspirations. From a Texans perspective, I can see the groundwork being the same. I don't know that if I, I see the, the scenario playing out where they turn out the same way where the Texans have everything else and need a quarterback. I don't think the Texans want the full scenario to play out. I don't think they want to be in a spot where they're seeking that veteran quarterback. They want to be in the spot where their number two pick hits, C.J. Stroud, versus the Jets' number two pick that has not in Zach Wilson. What do you make of that build, B-Mac? The, the Texans trying to model after the Jets maybe a year or two behind their build. I, I do think there are definitely some similarities, but one place I hope they don't follow the Jets' lead is how they've handled the running back position. I just don't like how much capital they've invested in that position with the second round pick on Brees Hall and now you obviously throwing a uh, it, granted a short-term deal but a lot of money here for Dalvin Cook and paying all that money for the running back position so I definitely do think there's some things that you could follow their lead they built a good defense uh, they've obviously drafted a great wide receiver there and obviously the Texans will need to do that next season yeah. uh, they don't currently have a number one wide receiver on their on their team but I, I don't hope they follow the same build at running back I wonder that's a great point with the running back because I, I agree with you that's too much capital first round capital and then you know, pretty significant cash capital 
uh, for Dalvin Cook. Now, the Texans hit on Pierce, so that helps. And it's a good, it's a good example of, like, should you spend lots of capital at the running back position? Brees Hall, first rounder, or was he early second? Early, second. Early, early second. early, second. Early, early second. Then Dalvin Cook, you know, significant free agent money versus a guy that you drafted in the middle you, of the NFL yeah, draft. As long as you draft correctly when you take the you running back, then you don't have to go that high. But yeah. I, I do think at some point you consider fortifying if you can catch a deal on a veteran running back. I think they tried to do it on the cheap a little bit with Singletary this year. Yeah. But I think that they could do it again. We talked about it yesterday about the guys that are out there. And especially if running backs aren't going to break the bank like wide receivers, there's going to be chances for you to hit on a veteran, too, that can come in. The, didn't I, the question I was going to ask you guys was, didn't they also kind of swing and miss on a high-pick offensive lineman? Or they're still trying to work it the out? The Jets? Yeah. I, I, don't know their, I don't know their draft history all that well. Because their line is in shambles. And I want to say in the last couple of years, they drafted a lineman pretty highly that has been... It's kind of missing. Underproduction. So it has probably led to their offensive line being a year behind. Um, someone texting in, does this mean that Stroud turns into Zach Wilson? The hope, it's too early to tell. It's right. way too early to tell. The hope is no. The hope is that you hit on that pick. 713-780-3776. There's another team build that I want to take a look at in the NFL that you wouldn't normally put this team with the Houston Texans. And there's also been a major development in the Bobby Miami case. Is he real? Seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN ninety seven five and ESPN ninety two five.